Welcome to Dances FAQ, the podcast that gives you health information, keys for action and motivation, as well as tips for your career and well-being. My name is Alex Renier and I'm very excited to share all of that with you, artists, athletes and dancers. Hi guys, welcome to this new What's Your Story special episode. Dancers FAQ is two steps away from 1000 plays. Thank you for listening to the podcast and supporting this adventure. If you're a new listener, welcome. And if you are one of our fans, don't forget that the best way to support us is to subscribe to the channel and follow us on Instagram at Dancers FAQ. Today, my guest is David Zambrano, the inventor of Flying Low and the founder of Tic Tac Art Center in Brussels. You'll get to discover his personal story, how he met the floor, why he decided to create Tic Tac and more. Some videos are available on dancersfaq.com and our Instagram account. Make sure you check them out. Now, enjoy our conversation. Thank you, David, for being here today. Uh, thank you for the invitation. I have a first big question. How did dance come into your life? Coming from Venezuela is a dance culture. So everything that we celebrate there since I was practically born is with dancing. So it's not so difficult to, it's not so foreigner to us as we grow in that country. But to me, like the joy for moving came transmitted from my older sister. You know, when I was around maybe six years old, and then she was teaching me in that time so the couple dancings that were happening in the parties by putting my feet on top of her feet. And then like this, she will, you know, teach me a little bit of how to follow the music, you know, with the, some steps. And then after that, she brought me to a party, and I will never forget that day because um, I didn't want to dance. I was so scared, and I cried. But then the second party, I couldn't leave the party. But then I got into it. So yeah, that, like that. Family, country first and then family. Right. So then you kept partying with your sister. Yeah, well, yeah, somehow. And then from there, teenager years, I went a lot, um, you know, party, club, dancing. In that, in that time, it was called disco. I did a lot of that and, and I love it. Until I was 21 and then and there I... I wanted to take it more serious. So then I changed my career of science into arts, and then I went for dancing. Since I'm 21, very much I've been only dancing. And when did you meet the floor? Because I guess when you were partying, it was more like standing disco style. Yes, uh, I met the floor, I would say around 1982. Uh, I had some injuries on my uh, middle arches and the ligaments got overstretched because I, in that time I didn't know. Uh, I just started dancing and I didn't have any technique or method to rest the body or stretch. You know, yoga was not so popular. I just damaged my feet and then it was uh, difficult to stand. So an uh, orthopedic man told me that I had to wear shoes all the time and I couldn't dance without shoes anymore. So then I, you know, I went into the floor and I started rolling from side to side and then figuring out some steps, well, rolls actually. In that time were just rolls. And then like, you know, I got into the floor. And then there was the time also for break dancing. So, you know, you go on the streets and you see a lot of these kids doing, uh, you know, break dance on the street, on the floor. So that I like a lot. So, you know, I followed that a little bit, and but not so much, just from outside. And, uh, and then also, you know, the roles that I was developing, you know, and, until what it is now. 
And was there a transition then when you were doing this for yourself and then when you started sharing with other people? Yeah, well, sharing I always did. I, I had to tell you that um, I think the first time I taught a class uh, was for adult women, a group of women, at um, mathematics. I was in science, so I was really good in mathematics, and they asked me if they could teach them you know, for the exams. So I got into it and I liked them a lot and then they were doing better and better. So in that way, I thought, okay, not so bad, you know, so. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I loved that teaching. So when I started dancing, I immediately wanted to share what I was learning from my teachers to with other people and then also to research. And, you know, I started improvising from the beginning of my career. So when I moved to from Venezuela to United States, um, immediately as soon as I arrived, I I looked for a place where I could just share my, I would say in that time my joy for moving. Mm -hmm. um, it was mainly movement. It was not called dance steps, and you know, so I was really a mover. And then I would select people from the parties or the clubs to come to my studio where I would pay for it. And then we research and, you know, jump around. And so I was transmitting already everything that I was going through my life to them. And I did that for three years. That involved the rolling, you know, side by side, maybe two or three rolls in that time. Then when I went to New York City, I remember in my warm ups for jamming or improvisation jams, some of my dance friends would ask me, oh, can you teach me those rolls? I liked, you know, it looked like you're flying low. So then um, I started, you know, transmitting around 1984, 85 in New York with the name Flying Low. The, the workshop started there. So it started with Flying Low and then Passing Through? Yeah, that fly, uh, Passing Through came much later. Yeah, Passing Through was more, well, first of all, you know, how to bring a jam situation into my everyday life, you know, day life, like classes, workshops. And then also to how to bring the social aspect of the dance into the classes. And then also from my teacher, Simone Forti, she had a warm-up. Um, I don't remember. I think she called it the scramble, where we will walk uh, through the room. And then the, the aim was always passed between two people. And, uh, you know, that becomes a little bit like, you know, like this, you know, because it's always between two bodies, walking, just walking forward. And that I liked very much. So when I started uh, teaching in Europe, I started using that warm-up, you know. And then also then, of course, I was younger, coming from different cultures. I have already some experience going on the floor with flying low. And then I thought, wow, maybe we can, you know, walk forward, backwards, around each other, under, over. So then I started, you know, exploring that possibility. The spirals started happening more strong with a lot of aim towards the spirals in all directions. I think around maybe 1995, 96, I started um, researching for a couple dancing um, piece I called Ballroom. And then I select a group of dancers that we research a lot of how to do couple dancing to any kind of music with a very eloquent hands, movements, and then also uh, improvise, spontaneous, and uh, somehow very rhythmical. So, you know, I went through that research with them. There were about five people. And then um, one day, just by chance, we started doing couple dancing with, 
you know, with more people together, three, four, five, and all of a sudden, you know, the hands got involved and all of a sudden it was like, wow, it's not so bad. And in that time, as soon as I was teaching, I called that uh, dance web. Hmm. You know, that composition, I call it dance web because it was like, a, you know, a web. You know, it was interconnectivity happening. We go through each other and, you know. But um, when I went to teach in uh, Impulse Dance and they asked me to teach a workshop and I selected this one and they have a dance web program. So then, you know, for scholarship students. So then I thought, hmm, I think maybe I changed that name. So I was teaching in parts and they asked me if I could teach the dance web, you know, composition. And then I say, yes, but uh, let's call it Passing Through. So I think it's called, it's, the name Passing Through comes from maybe 1998, 99, you know? So from there I started exploring more and more and more this mass of people going through each other and then with the limitation of the room and infinite possibilities to, you know, to just dance through, you know, with the whole group all the time, always going somewhere and um, in curves and um, spirals constantly. And yeah, this is what it is now. It's really like, it's really like a choreography, but it, it has um, open doors for spontaneity. So, you know, until the whole room becomes one mind, you know, we practice to balance leading and following constantly. So, yeah, I like that uh, a lot. I mean, it's, it's, it's really great and it's really be like a ritual also, you know. So. Mm. What brought you to New York? Well, that's a good question. Um, I met some people that we became really good friends uh, at the American Dance Festival in Durham, North Carolina. And then two of them were living in New York. So then I say, okay, I'm going to visit you. So I went there to visit them. And then I, I got to know a little bit of, you know, the downtown scene for improvisation. And I just loved it. So then I say, okay, I'm going to leave the school and then come here. So I went back to school to finish like all my credits. And then just before I had to get a diploma, I left. And in that year, also, my mother died in 1984. So that gave me some strength to, to say, okay, I go there. I remember I had $50 and hitchhiking. And then um, I arrived there, immediately contacted my friends. And then everything happens very fast. And I got some kind of job for money. And so I, I could pay my food and housing. And then immediately people asked me if I could teach. So then I was teaching and then I immediately was performing a lot. I got into a company for two years immediately. Everything happens. Like I tell you, it had to happen. It was like that. So, so friends took me to New York and then I, you know, I stayed there and I loved New York City. I had a great time, 15 years. And then you moved to Europe. Yes, that was love. Another yeah. good reason. Yes, another good reason. And um, well, I was coming to Europe a lot because uh, my classes got more and more demand from the Europeans that were studying with me in New York City. So then uh, I say, okay, um, I, th I would see maybe it would be a good idea, you know, to to come more often to to Europe. So I got a little apartment in Barcelona. And then I was between Barcelona and New York, you know, so all the time in those places. Barcelona was the, like the center of operations. But then I fell in love with my partner that we're still together around 1993. And then, um, yes, we decided to, to stay in Amsterdam. 
So I'm in Europe since 90, legally since 1999. When we're not in a pandemic, you teach all over the world. I was wondering, because you, you teach, you know, flying low, sort of floor work, did you, do you have a different approach depending on where you're teaching regarding the cultural background and the relationship people have with the floor? Yes. In many countries in Africa, um, a lot of the dancers there, the relation with the floor is with their feet, or it used to be with the feet. Now it's more influenced from once again, urban dance, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but if you go to the contemporary dance of Africa, um, that's quite influenced by traditional dance and modern dance. So to go into the floor, only like Graham style, you know, a little bit hard. And, or if it comes from urban dance, but they are not usually into contemporary dance, is everything is a little bit separated, so it's easier, but in a different way also because it's very muscular. So there I have to adapt to explain um, a little bit of how to go in and out of the floor with ease. That's um, a little bit, has been a little bit more difficult. But when some of these dancers from, especially from the African cultures, they get into it, you know, they become fantastic movers. I mean, I love, uh, you know, what comes out from them when, when, you know, they are just swimming and that's very beautiful. Dance culture, I would say also, if it's a culture, the ballet dancers. Yeah, that also has been difficult. Even William Forsyth ballet dancers, you know, that were in the company that came to work with me later, um, that was not so easy. So I had to also figure out how to transmit that to them. But once when they got in, I mean, you know, with all the vocabulary that they have in verticality, it's also very beautiful. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, depending on the situation, but sometimes it's also because people... Uh, go on the floor in a very different way. So that's already difference. And then, and then I had to figure out how to help them to go pretty much with what they know, but uh, with ease, you know, with, uh, with the image that you dive into it more than you go on top of the floor. But um, the, how I see the class now of flying low, it's not, just no, it's not just floor work, but it's also like excuse to practice interconnectivity with the earth, with our bodies as earth, and then with the room and the people in the room, you know, interconnection. Which is something you also explore, like in a very physical way, touching yeah. in couple dance. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes, and it's always the gathering and sending, you know, or receiving and offering, you know, that balance between guiding or leading and following, you know. So, so uh, I like that very much uh, to find always a balance between the two of them. Mm -hmm. You know, like a really good leader is really good followers and a really good follower, a really good leader, they go through each other. Yeah, so that I practice very much now in all of them, you know, all the things that I teach. Yeah. I find that very important. So can you say that uh, your couple dance came more from the passing through and flying low style than other couple dances? Uh, I would say the flying low and passing through came more from couple dance, my couple dancing. Sometimes when I walk my pelvis down into the floor, it's not so different than when I walk my pelvis down with the salsa music, you know? Mm -hmm. So it has already a releasing feeling to it. You know, you bring yourself closer to the ground, closer to the, to the earth, and it's easier to manipulate your legs. So, so that 
background from couple dancing that I learned in Venezuela. I have also learned to integrate it into the floor work, the passing through, the, yes. But then later, flying low and passing through enrich my couple dancing. Yes, yes, that, uh, for sure. Now I, I, I still teach the couple dancing workshop that I will be doing now again in June here in Tic Tac in Brussels. And I like it a lot. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a fun workshop. We're dancing all day to big bang music. I mean, who doesn't like that? I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> right. By the way, so what brought you to Brussels? Because you were living between Barcelona and New York for a time, then Amsterdam. Yeah. And all of a sudden you decided to settle down in Brussels. Yeah, I mean, I'm still between Brussels and Amsterdam, actually. I pay my taxes in Holland. Okay. And I am a Dutch citizen by passport, you know. But um, what brought me to Brussels at the beginning was the, my teaching, my my workshops, and the big companies were asking for them. You know, from I think the first one was um, and the Cavers, and then Rosas, and then the School of Ana Teresa uh, Parts. You know, the School of Parts in Brussels. They started. They invited me from I think from the second year of the school on. And uh, and then also my own workshops, and I got more and more involved with the dancers of Brussels, you know, because the contemporary dance world in Belgium in that moment it was somehow uh, the only dance world that I could relate to very close to how I like to think of, you know, of moving. So so then um, it was easier to click in there. You know, so uh, my partner, Matt Forter, he was uh, working with Company Zoo, with Thomas Howard. And then, um, you know, he was coming more and more to Brussels also. And all the time, me staying in, a, you know, Airbnb or hotel, my partner too. So, you know, we were looking for, well, if we come so often to Brussels, maybe it's a good idea to think of having or a rented place for us, that, you know, that we can keep or maybe thinking of buying a house. And in that time, buying a house in Brussels or in Belgium in general for dancers was not so difficult because it was one of the cheapest places in that time, including Berlin, you know, like 20 years ago. We found a place and, and we got it. And now if you ask me for my recent decision before the pandemic, is that, um, as you say, that traveling so much for more than 35 years in so many countries and the last 20 years almost nonstop coming home in the weekends and then taking a plane again and, you know, get tired of so much moving. And I thought, okay, it would be really great to find a place somewhere in the world that I can take a rest for 10 years, you know, like a rock star, you know, a lot of rock stars, they take a break for 10 years and then they come back. So I thought maybe I can find a place like that and then have the people coming to me instead of me going to them. I already did that a lot. So then it's time for finding that place and then it had to be a big studio somewhere. You know, I thought maybe to build it somewhere, etc. And then by chance, talking to friends and thinking like this, we found this place uh, next to our house in Brussels, like 10 minutes walk. And it was a old imprimery, a printing company. And there was a huge room inside that, you know, without columns. And we could build a 300 square meters inside. And then I thought, yes, we take it. But then we opened it in 2018. And then I thought, okay, now I stay here. This would be my temple. 
and then I see how far I can develop my things here and also to present other people that I like and, you know, and then combine it with other art fields. I love painting also. So maybe with visual arts and I love costumes. So maybe with my partner, we can also share our, you know, ideas of costumes and interior design and all these visual things plus dancing or performing, I would say. So then, yeah, we took it and we started and it has been somehow great. Then the pandemic came and, uh, I mean, I, I, before the pandemic, I was thinking to stay in one place without going out so much, but I never thought that it was going to be the whole world staying in their own place without being able to really travel anymore. So, so that has been difficult, but since God, we have been able to stay. I mean, we had to close a few months, but then since December, we are able to stay open, but only for professional dancers. And um, yes, not public. You know, other kind of people cannot come in yet. Design, painting and everything for now, they're not happening anymore. They are not happening by other people, but uh, they are still happening by our us, you know. Uh, Matt, my partner, just taught a workshop for making costumes for performance. You know, it was a very nice workshop with some dancers or also costume makers. They came to take it where you make some kind of very fast clothes and then perform immediately for each other. And then me, I have been making sweaters for fun, putting my paintings on clothes and then also painting a lot of things. Um, and then, yeah, dancing also a lot. And yeah, we, we still somehow keep the creativity happening in the building, but not so much for other people, uh, visual artists from outside. No, because we cannot open, a, we have a gallery and we cannot open it yet. You know, so, so I had to wait and then maybe other people can come back. And how long did it take you to build this center? Because it's a massive project. Yes, it's a 1,000 square meters. As cheaper as possible, we renovate everything. Uh, maybe six months. Wow, yeah. that's super fast. Well, somehow, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But you can see immediately the, the walls is with this very cheap wood and the floors also, and then cover it immediately. And then we love color, so we paint everything in color. So it's actually quite beautiful. I mean, a lot of people like it. And um, it's a little bit like an island of magic. Yeah, it's very nice. But um, it's not funded and we, we didn't buy it. It's rented, so we had to work very hard to be able to, you know, to keep the finances going. So, yeah, we had to borrow a lot of money from friends that we still owe. And then also from our own money, from teaching abroad. But I love when I like right now, And you go in the studio and you see, wow, something is happening there. So that's very beautiful. You've never been here? No, not yet. I was meant to come for the, the five weeks intensive and then couldn't happen because of the situation. And you applied for the last uh, intensive. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I got a, a spot in the, in the yeah. intensive and then the pandemic happened and yeah, uh, yeah couldn't yeah. happen. We, we all got COVID in that intensive. Oh, really? It was, very, yeah, it was very, it was amazing intensive. I mean, it was very close to many things, including death, but somehow it came, it turned out really fantastic experience. Very intense, but very fantastic. And uh, everybody stayed until the end. Uh, we really loved it. And then I did another intensive of improvisation. There I, we had more experience with COVID. So, you know, With covering everything, and you know, yeah. and um, that was four weeks in February, 
and that was great. Now nothing happened in that time. And now it's mainly like weeks workshops. Yeah. Yeah. Like the time where we used to do couple dance, change partner each time, be together in Del Tebre feels like, wow, <laughs> a decade <Yeah>. ago. <laughs> I know. I did the couple dancing workshop here when we, we opened in June again after March. You know, March we had to close. And then we were able to open again in June. And I say, okay, I'm going to teach couple dancing because this would be like a workshop that everybody will miss so much because you, you can touch somebody and you can bring your partner from home. So you don't have to touch, you know, another person. You can just bring your own partner. But everybody was so scared. So only one couple came. Oh, really? Yeah, but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I did it and I tell you, it was not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, nice. Yes. I had a question about your clothes. So do you make all of your clothes or where do you find these amazing pieces? Well, uh, what I do uh, since the lockdown, because I was also really, you know, the lockdown somehow for many people was very difficult. I mean, for us too, but inspired me a lot for creativity. So I decided to, <clears throat> you know, get some sweaters through internet, you know, via online and then paint them you know so i i put a lot of my drawings on the top making each piece unique and you know and then see if we can sell them and then get some money for that from that to pay the rent here etc so it turned out quite well actually i've already sold 180 sweaters so so it's not so bad and and now i'm making more for the spring and summer collection <laughs> <laughs> but um well um I have my personal taste for, for clothes that if you ask him for it, uh, yes, I have and my partner too. So, you know, we have our, well, how people say style and then we like to share that um, sometimes. Yes. But how do you do it? Yeah. Do you go on a shopping day or it's anytime you travel and see something, you pick it? Uh, yes. The second one. Yes. Every time I was traveling, uh, I will see something, especially from John designers that still were not so famous. I would check what they're making, new ideas, very inspiring, also for costumes, for performing. And then also um, traditional clothes, you know, handcraft that you don't see so much anymore. So this I, you know, I like to, you know, colorful traditional clothes. Do you get inspiration from Venezuela or really like from all over the world? I, I Right now, all over the world. Yes. I think it's very beautiful the way that people do little hand dance by sewing or making or waving handcraft, handcraft in general, with work with the hands all over the world. And I get very inspired, uh, especially India, Mexico, Thailand, Japan. Yeah, some of the indigenous from the Andes. And how is today your relation to Venezuela? Uh, well, that that chapter is difficult uh, because um, for already oh more than 20 years, we have been suffering because of, uh, it's difficult to talk about it, but uh, we have a narco uh, government, which means it's a government that doesn't want to leave the country and they have become like authoritarians or dictators. And then um, they are using um, the whole nation to traffic drugs, you know, into other places and then to exploit 
or allowing other countries to exploit the nature of Venezuela. And then, you know, they get money for that. And by doing that, all the production in Venezuela has been destroyed, especially the oil production, which was the number, Venezuela was number five in the production of oil, you know, petroleum around the world. So all that industry is gone. I mean, it's uh, very terrible. Uh, you know, machines are destroyed, abandoned, everything. And then um, Mayan gasoline was the cheapest country to buy gasoline. Now you don't have gasoline. So so that's also very hard. We always have problems with water and electricity. And now it's even worse. Most of the food is imported from outside. The production in Venezuela is almost gone. A little bit, you know, you will find meat or rice, things like that. A lot of vegetables are from the nature because it's a tropical country. But uh, in general, the production of things that we use daily um, there is gone. So that's also painful. There are a lot of poor people, um, more than ever. And now is uh, the COVID-19. So it's actually the last week got worse. Part of my family still is there, you know, a big part of my family, brothers and sisters. So they are still, a lot of them suffering. None of them have got COVID yet, thanks God. So the country is pretty much on the floor. And then the inflation is super high. I mean, the market is in dollars now and it's only black market. So that means if you are able to make a business in the street, then you can get some money and then buy your things. But if not, I mean, it's it's really horrible. So, you know, it's something that I is with me every day. And I don't know how that's going to change because there's a... There is an opposition, like a political opposition against the government, but uh, somehow has not been able to work well yet because the army is with the government. The army has been, another way to say, brainwashed by supposed to be the new socialism in Latin America. So a lot of Cuban influence, you know, Cuba is quite present in there. China is very present in there to get whatever they want, but China is present everywhere anyway, so it's just not so different. Russia is very well present there. They are supporting. Iran is well present there. Um, Lebanon with Hezbollah is present in Venezuela. Turkey is well present there. So for those countries, you can fly directly, you know, so... It's really terrible. And then the government makes publicity that, you know, everything is against the imperialism from United States. But I mean, you have the other empires in the country and they don't, nobody really cares of what is, you know, happening. Uh, and then there is difficult to get news because all the media has been censored. And um, yeah, only through, you know, Facebook and Instagram, you get from time to time videos, you know, Twitter from people. But social media, you get the information, but the rest is very difficult. And then also you don't know if it's true or not. But I know facts because of my family and friends, you know, that that we talk through. So, yeah, yeah so it's, it's hard. It's a very beautiful part of the world. You know, we have mountains, flatlands. We have the Amazons, wild forests. Sea, uh, beautiful beaches, islands, you know, it's in front of the Caribbean Sea. I mean, it's great. And it was quite cosmopolitan, you know, and the, until the beginning of the 90s, Venezuela was super cosmopolitan. Mm. You know, everything new technology will arrive there, you know. But yeah, so. So for the past 20 years, you haven't been able to to do any projects there? 
No, my last project I did was in 2006. Okay. I tried I tried to go back, you know, even if it was this kind of socialist movement in there. I mean, I'm no right wing, I'm also no left wing, you know. So no so much into politics, but uh, I can see the influence of on the creativity for the human being in both sides, you know, very extreme right, extreme left is it's terrible for arts. So through the years that I was going back, I I was seeing the deterioration, like the, the country was getting worse and worse, you know, the infrastructure, the streets, the buildings, the public services, you know, everything was falling down. The production was falling down. Most of the big people, engineers, doctors, they were leaving the country. I mean, there was also no future. Yeah, it was it was very sad. Still is. And I made a strong uh, propaganda against the government. Uh, you can see it in YouTube. It's a little uh, statement. I stood in the middle of a plaza in many cities in Europe and Latin America, complaining against the, the dictatorship. And because of that... Um, you know, the uh, the ambassador of Venezuela in the Netherlands, she said that um, I may be in the, in the blacklist. When I tried to renovate my passport or to get a new passport, it was impossible. So now you're unable to go back home at the moment? Well, as a Dutch citizen, I could, you know, but... Um, but uh, Venezuelan papers I don't have now. So, you know, I have to wait until the government changes and then hopefully get my passport again. So I forgot to ask you something about the Tic Tac Center. Why did you call it that way? Uh, Tic Tac, well, our cats are called Tic and Tac. <laughs> as simple as that. <laughs> yeah. Two of my dancers, Edivaldo and Horacio from Mozambique, we were together in Italy and then I say, well, I need a name for that center. And um, I don't know, I have some names, but they are not so nice to pronounce, you know. Only in Spanish was nice, but no in different languages. And then they they turn back to me and say, why don't you call them Tic Tac, like your cats? It's very easy. It has so many meanings and um, everybody can pronounce it. And then I say, well, yes, I like it. So, yeah, that's how it arrived. It means a lot because, you know, there's like a little candy, you know, that you put in your mouth and then it has all the flavors go so big. So it's a little bit like how small thing can influence many or, or how one thing can touch so many people. So that's very much what I, my image, you know, how can we make it that everybody, when they come, they get really inspired and, you know, and exciting and then go back and then paint their house in colors or you know, or decided to make, you know, studios where they can do dancing every day or or the way of performing, you know, that the dancing has to be in the big theaters can happen anywhere. And then, you know, that kind of things that, you know, can stimulate the imagination for the young people. Yes. Maybe one last thing. I was curious about the way you use the gaze because in Flying Low, you know, the fact of like, being aware of what's around with the, of course, the body, but also the eyes. And then the contrary, when we do couple dance and you like to feel everything without the gaze. Yes. Not really staring at your, at your yeah. partner. Very much in the, most of the trainings that I do is you use your eyes to see where you're going as you go. And if you're going to work um, uh, with a partner, it's really great to practice how to see through your partner the rest of the room. You know, so that's how I, I like to practice more than staying 
on your partner's bodies with your eyes, you know, because then it makes the room a little bit small. But it is possible to see your partner. It's not, no problem. But it's really great to be able to to see the room as you go, as you travel, depending where you're going, if you go down or up or to this side or to that side and what that includes and how that affects you, you know, how your body will react as you touch with your vision, other things. Very much, I always like that. I think maybe I learned it from my teachers. I don't know, because when I see them performing now, I realize, oh, maybe I learned it from them without realizing. Who were they? One was Simone Forti, and Simone Forti studied with Anna Halprin. Simone Forti is, uh, was born in Italy, but she grew up in the United States, a performance artist, and she became very famous lately. She's already, tomorrow is her birthday, so I think she's going to be 88. And then Anna Halprin um, was 100 last year, so this year would be 101. They have dedicated their life to improvisation and um, a very you know, beautiful way of performing, very simple. They still do. And I have the feeling that you use the eyes as a performative tool as well, don't you? I guess so. Uh, I think, uh, yes, but I have also made pieces where the eyes dance. I guess inspired by the Indian, you know, little eyes going everywhere, you know. And I love uh, when I go to India there, they, they really use their eyes even more than what I do. You know, they have so much expressions that you go like, wow, so beautiful. Mm. You know, in the street of India, you will go crazy with the kids. Maybe this is going to be your next style, the eye choreography. <laughs> <laughs> when I get much older and I can hardly move. Yeah, maybe. Or I call it nano, nano movements. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm, I'm going now. So... Small but powerful. Yeah, yeah, tic tac. <laughs> <laughs> you you just say it's small but powerful because I mean, if it's something very powerful, it's the small things that we can hardly see, like the virus right now, and it's yeah. so powerful, can kill so many people. You know, so yes, like that. I like the the power of the invisible things. You know. So David, where can we find you at the moment? What what are the next upcoming projects? Um, I will be pretty much here in my temple, Tic Tac Art Center in Brussels. I will be teaching here. I will perform from time to time here and also open the door for other people to teach and perform. Everything that happens in Tic Tac is quite raw or crudo, um, you know, spontaneous, the way that I also liked and also to, to share. I will start doing research here um, in April. Uh, where I invite a group of dancers and then we research for specific ideas that I have and then we open the doors and perform for the public or for performance online, depending on the rules. But I will be here so people can find me here, mainly here. I, I have still, because of the years before, I still have some commitments. So it's about two or three cities this year. But in general, I will be here. I go back to Del Tebre because Roberto, you know, just to help him to continue there. Sure. Yeah, but only one week. But the rest, I will be here mainly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will put all the details to the Tic Tac Center in the description. Okay, that's great. Cool. Amazing. Well, thank you very much, David. Yeah, thank you. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening until the end. If you like what you just heard, subscribe to the channel and leave a review on the app you're using. See you soon. Bye-bye.